A passage I want to read for my prepared message is out of the Gospel of John, chapter 3, beginning with verse 22 through 27. And it reads this way. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into Judea, where he spent some time with them and was baptizing. And John was baptizing at Enon near Salem, because there was a lot of water there. And people were coming to him and being baptized. John had not yet been thrown into prison. Now a debate started between John's disciples and a certain Jew about cleansing rituals. And they came to John and said, Rabbi, the man, the man who was with you across the Jordan, the one whom you testified, is baptizing. And everyone is flocking to him. Well, John replied, no one can receive anything unless it is given from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said that I'm not the Christ, but that I'm the one sent before him. The groom is the one who is getting married. The friend of the groom stands close by, and when he hears him, is overjoyed at the groom's voice. Therefore, my joy is now complete. He must increase, and I must decrease. So in the past few weeks, I've had the good fortune of reconnecting with one of my past instructors and spiritual mentors uh, from seminary. His name is Alan Cope. He now lives in Cleveland and teaches at a school, uh, Baldwin Davis. I attended Earlham School of Religion, or ESR, from 1986 to 1990. And as a young pastoral minister, Alan was very pivotal in helping me understand the landscape of spiritual formation and spirituality. And Alan was instrumental in starting at the seminary a focus on spiritual formation, uh, spirituality, spiritual development, and prayer. And one of the classes I took was a class on prayer. Now this was not a content-heavy class. In fact, it was very experiential. It was held once a week and it was a three-hour class. The first hour was simple content, just around the book that we were reading. The second hour, we met in small groups praying for one another. And then the third hour, we met in silent or waiting worship. So it was a three-hour experience, immersed um, in prayer. And it was during one of our class gatherings that I essentially had what I would call my own personal revelatory moment, an epiphany, or a spiritual opening. Probably one of those moments that was more important than a class lecture. And I recall it to this very day, and I was actually walking across the parking lot when I shared this moment with Alan Cope. And this is what I heard. I heard the words that John the Baptist himself said, he must increase and I must decrease. Now, I really didn't have any idea what it meant at that time, and. Alan was wise and kind enough to not try to define what it should mean for me, but affirm the value of listening to me and to whatever I needed to, to do to unpack those words and unpack them in my own journey. But in my soul, I heard those words by John the Baptist, he must increase and I must decrease. Now, being a young upstart pastor and one who had been more or less marked for climbing the Quaker ladder uh, at that time in Indiana Yearly Meeting, I probably believed in myself more than I should have. Now, I think confidence is a very good thing, but confidence with 
out a healthy dose of humility can often quickly morph into arrogance. And on the days that I know myself as well as I can know myself, I have to admit I have to admit that sometimes the spotlight can be awfully appealing. And there have been times when I have sought it out or felt deflated when it hasn't found me. I remember as a young kid in Jamaica when we were having a Christmas program in the sanctuary at Worthington Friends. Dad had rigged up a projector on the ceiling pointing down to the stage where we were, and I was actually one of the shepherds. And the spotlight was so blinding in my eyes that I was afraid that no one could see me. So in my own way, to make sure everyone could see me, I just took my arms and started going like this to make sure everyone could see me, even though the spotlight was on me. I wanted to make sure everyone could see me. Even in high school as well, um, when I played baseball, every now and then I would hit in the winning run uh, or be part of an important play or part of an important process in the game. And you know, you'd get your name written up in the paper and I'd run downstairs in the morning, open up the paper, go to the sports page to see the write-up about, um, about the game. And more often than not, when it came to my part in the play, instead of it saying Scott Wagner, it said Steve Wagner. Whenever there's been a mistake in my name, it's always been Steve instead of Scott. I just think God had God's way of keeping me humble. Now, I say all that to say that, again, there are days that I know myself as well as I can know myself. And some days I do, some days I don't. But on the days that I do know myself, I have to admit that that spotlight can be awfully appealing. We want to be recognized. We want to be seen. We want to be acknowledged. In many ways, we want to be validated. And sometimes it goes farther than it needs to go. Now, the point of this moment of introspection, confession, and vulnerability on my part is simply this. God knows what our heart most needs, sometimes before we know it, often before we know it. God knows those places in which we get ourselves stuck or we get in our own way, and God will often show us how we can get out of our own way. I think in my case, God was saying this. Both years ago in seminary, as I was walking across that parking lot, and even most recently, when I heard those words again by John the Baptist, he must increase and I must decrease. I think maybe God is saying this. Pay attention, Scott, to John the Baptist, and know that there comes a time in which he, Jesus, must increase, the spirit of Jesus, the living Christ, and you must decrease, if not all the time. That's an important part of our spirituality. But there are certain times when you really need to pay attention to that invitation to just decrease and allow Jesus' presence, the living Christ presence, to fill the space of which you have been in. And I think that this is now one of those times. Most of you know, uh, either through the email or through word of mouth, um, or just as I shared earlier in this video, I announced this past week my resignation from Deep River Friends meeting, uh, effective in a couple months. I appreciate the email that David Smith, our ministry and council clerk, sent out to everyone, and I appreciate the care and ministry that a care and ministry that ministry and council has offered me. After 19 years of serving this wonderful meeting, this very gracious meeting, this very wonderful community of friends, um, after 19 years, it has felt right uh, for me to transition away and to move on to another season in my life, in my calling, in my ministry. And as most of you know. Um, again, through other emails or just contact with folks, 
I will be transitioning to serve as pastoral minister at High Point Friends Meeting sometime in the next couple of months. Now, this is a time of transition for Linda and I, and it's a time of transition for Deep River Friends Meeting. And both of these transmissions, uh, both of these transitions, have elements of anxiousness and anticipation. There are new possibilities for the future as well as unknowns about the future as we continue to journey together over the next couple of months. And I think it's within that context that I heard the still small voice again remind me this week, he, that is Jesus, living Christ, the presence of the living Christ, he must increase and I must decrease. And for me, what that means that as my presence decreases here, I pray and I trust that the presence of Christ and his direction increases as the meeting, Deep River Friends, seeks to follow the direction and guidance of the living Christ into the future. And I know you will. And I know ministry and council will. And I know monthly meeting for business will. Because Christ is our true shepherd. The living Christ is our true guide. The living Christ is the one who leads and instructs and speaks to our condition. And the living Christ is the one who has this meeting's care and future well within his care. And maybe this is what it looks like when Paul invites the Philippians to work out their own salvation. In other words, we all have our own salvation work to do, not in the sense of working for our salvation. We all know that we can't work for it. It comes to us as a gift. It comes to us by the grace and mercy of God. But working out our salvation, we work it out in the very intricacies in the very particularities of our life, and even in the life of Deep River Friends Meeting, in its own intricacies, in its own particularities, and all of the practical ways. And if salvation is healing and wholeness, which I believe it is, if salvation brings us healing and wholeness for our life, then what does it look like for our lives to be moving towards healing and wholeness? What does it look like for our lives to be moving towards flourishing and thriving? That's the work that I'll be doing for myself as I decrease, as I move into this next season of my life. But that's also the work that Deep River Friends Meeting can be doing. It's asking that question, what does it look like for Deep River Friends Meeting to flourish, to thrive, to live into the wholeness, to live into the fullness that God has for you as a Friends Meeting? Now, certainly beyond this moment, I believe this John the Baptist moment invites us even to consider what decreasing and increasing might look like in our own lives. For John the Baptist, his notoriety wasn't the purpose. Rather, his life was to point to the one, that is Christ, who is the purpose. Now, John the Baptist could have increased his notoriety. He could have increased his success. He could have increased his influence. But the purpose was never about the increase of his own personality and preferences. The purpose was about the increase of God's kingdom, and that that kingdom had come in the person of Jesus. And that is what made John the Baptist's joy complete, that he now could point the way, he could point to the person, he could point to this kingdom reality in Jesus, and his life could simply be one that points to the kingdom, which fills everything and brings all people hope. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the whole world. That is the kingdom of God. Now our own personal decreasing often looks like a willingness to maybe put aside our own we ego as well as our preferences and 
to allow the increasing of God's purposes and God's will and God's intentions to take front and center. I also think this is the very thing the Apostle Paul is getting at when he wrote to the Galatians these words, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now for sure, Paul is still living physically when he wrote that. He's living and he's breathing and his heart is pumping. But the world that revolves around Paul's preferences, the world that revolves around his own agenda is decreasing as he makes increasing room and space in his own life for the purposes and agenda of the living Christ and the kingdom of God. And it is his prayer that the increasing presence of Christ will live in and through him and will be a life-giving presence to the world. That is why he says, it is no longer I who live, not my agenda, not my ego, not my preferences. It's no longer I that lives, but it is Christ living in and through me. Now, how does this look even more specifically? In fact, what does this look like during our day? Well, let me give you some suggestions or at least some prompts. It's when my desire to have my own way decreases, and it's when my willingness to listen to others increases. It's when my need to have all the attention and recognition decreases, and my desire to see others succeed and get recognized increases. It's when my push for my preferred agenda decreases and my interest in making space for the ideas and input of others increases. It's when my reliance on my own wisdom and understanding decreases and my reliance on the wisdom, understanding, and guidance of Christ increases. It's when my need to always get my own way decreases and my willingness to try and listen to someone else's idea or way increases. And it's ultimately when I can realize that life is not always about me and my need to make it about me decreases and it's about my desire to make it about others and their life and their joy and their success and that increases. And ultimately, ultimately it's about um, decreasing in making life about my agenda and increasing the space in my heart that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God's love, the kingdom of God's purposes, the kingdom of God's joy has a place in my heart and that begins to increase. Now this is not just growing into spiritual maturity but it's also growing into emotional maturity as we become increasingly at home with our own identity as those loved by God. And we decreasingly, if that's a word, we decreasingly um, need external markers of success or achievement or conquest to bolster our identity. Again, it's about me, it's about you, it's about us decreasing and the life of Christ increasing in us. Now the paradox of all this and John the Baptist shows us the way, is that our joy is complete when we are able to rejoice in the joys and celebrations of others. John the Baptist gives this example, of the example of the friend of the groom. Basically, if you've been to a wedding, it's the person who stands up with the groom. It's the best man. It's the groomsman. But they realize it's not their moment. It's his best friend's moment. It's their best friend's moment. It's not their moment to shine. It's not their moment to be the center of attention. It's not their moment to be the intent and purpose of all that is going on. It is the groom's moment. And their joy is complete when they can enter fully into the joy of their friend. And that's what John the Baptist said. His joy is complete 
because now he can celebrate that the kingdom of God is at hand. Now he can celebrate that the kingdom of God is present among them in Jesus. He can celebrate because his joy is complete because he has done his work. He feels like he has fulfilled his call. He has pointed the way towards Christ. And now Christ is here and present among his people. I don't fashion myself necessarily as a John the Baptist by any means. I've got a long way to go in my life before I compare myself to any other folks in the Bible, as long as uh, we raise them up as people of faith. I do identify with sometimes of their messy lives and their incomplete lives and their imperfect lives. But I guess what I want to say is this. In many ways, my joy is complete to see Deep River Friends Meeting thrive and flourish. My joy is complete when I can see Deep River Friends continue to move forward in the abundance and the generosity and the leading of Christ. And in many ways, I feel like John the Baptist that my work here is done. In many ways, um, it could continue, I suppose, but it feels done for me, and this season feels done. And my joy is complete because Deep River Friends has come a long way, and you all have come a long way. And you all are in this place of maturity and wholeness and health and flourishing, and you continue to thrive in the Spirit. So in this season, in this moment, what I realize is I will continue to decrease. I will continue to be here over the next couple of months. I will continue to serve as best as I can to fulfill my responsibilities and to fulfill uh, my tasks um, for pastoral care, for preaching, for leading worship and administration. But I will continue to decrease in a way that allows the space of Christ, the, the grace of Christ, the leadership of Christ, um, the, the presence of Christ to fill that space, for Christ to increase, um, not only in the meeting, but in you as well, as you seek to follow and lead Christ into the future. And that is what makes my joy complete.